good morning, Oakwood. Starting a new series today called Loving This Married Thing. And uh, glad that you're here. You're on the ground floor opportunity of this. And uh, before we get into the message this morning, I wanted to say, as I've been working on this series uh, for the last few weeks and thinking about this, I, I want you to know that if you are single this morning, uh, whether that is uh, single by choice, uh, you walk in the ways of the Apostle Paul who says it's a blessing to be single, um, or whether you're single by circumstance this morning, whether that's something um, that chose you and you had nothing to do with it. And um, I just want you to know that you are thought of, you are prayed for in this series. And I also want to challenge you with something. As I think of marriages, I think of, uh, of a marriage between a husband and a wife being a duet, Okay, it's, it's two parts, right? And, and there's like a two-step with it. There's, there's harmony with it when the two parts are working together. And because of that, I, I want you to think about it this way. Have you ever watched American Idol? Anybody in here ever watched American Idol? Any of those, how about any of those singing shows? I don't know all the names of all of them, but okay, several of you watch those shows. Did you notice that every time they do those singing shows, whether it's a solo act or a, a duet like we'll be talking about in this series, did you always notice they have backing vocals? Like every single one. In fact, if you go to a good concert, there's always backing vocals, right? They have the, they have the soloist, they have the, the duet, you know, coming out and doing things, but they always have these backing vocals. And if you take the backing vocals away, and a little hint here, if you take them away on the radio too, it doesn't sound as good. Those backing vocals are important. And so whether it be God's intention for you in the future that maybe someday you'd be married yourself, or maybe you're helping in a duet, being a supportive backup singer. If you are single this morning, I want to say, hey, use this series. I think God will still speak to you through uh, the messages. They're all from Scripture. But also to know that sometimes God is going to tap you on the shoulder and ask you to be a help in a time of need for someone else. And no matter what your circumstances are, God can use you to minister to others. So just want to encourage you with that this morning as we uh, start this series together. Now, we've done this thing with t-shirts for this series. Now, a little story, a little backstory. About 10 or 12 years ago, we did a series called Marriage Rocks. And we did these uh, t-shirts with it that said, I love my husband and I love my wife. We wore those t-shirts out in the community. In fact, some people still have them. I see the old school ones. But we got so many comments from the community on that. They were like, that's cool. I mean, that's cool that you're like celebrating marriage and saying, I love my husband and I love my wife. And so I thought, man, it's time to do that again, um, just in a more contemporary way. So uh, we got a complete redesign on these things. But uh, you can get this shirt. This is obviously for the guys. It says, I love my wife. If you're a lady, they're gray with black, and they say, I love my husband. And on the back, it says, loving this married life, oakwood.church. And the reason that we would love for you to buy these and wear these, and there's sweatshirts and there's t-shirts, so if you're a cold person, you can wear a sweatshirt. But um, the reason we want you to have these is to wear these out and to watch the opportunity you have with the reactions you get to people that says, hey, that's really cool that you're out there saying, hey, I love my wife. I love my husband. I am absolutely committed to this person because of the work that God is doing in our life and in our marriage. And that we want to put that on a pedestal. We want to celebrate that in this world that wants to attack marriage, that wants to separate families, that wants to redefine marriage. We want to say, hey, hey, we're doing it God's way and we are blessed because of that. So 
Uh, those are for sale in the lobby. They'll be for, for sale for the next couple weeks. We're going to put in a big order. They'll be here by the last Sunday of the series. And if you want to uh, be a part of that, be, a, be one of those walking billboards for marriage in our community, uh, putting that on a pedestal, uh, we appreciate that and want you to be a part of that. Uh, you'll see the, a lot of our staff and their spouses today are actually wearing those shirts. So if you want to see those modeled, go look at our, our staff this morning. Uh, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 2 with the first marriage in the Bible this morning. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. Genesis 2, it's really easy to find. Go to the beginning and turn a page over, and there you are in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. Now, as always, you're invited to follow along on your phone or if you brought an iPad or tablet with you this morning. Just download the Oakwood app. You can search for that in the App Store. Search for Oakwood Enid, and all the scriptures and all the bullet points and all that will be there for you. Uh, we just want you to engage the Word of God this morning. Don't really want you to hear from the church. Really don't want you to hear from me. I want you to hear from the Lord this morning. So it's good to engage in those things. Take some notes so you can uh, go home and have a conversation about it. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter there. This is what the scripture says as we follow along together. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds in the sky, and to all of the wild animals. But for Adam, the man, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And let me interpret what verse 23 really says is he was very excited. Verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. In verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So the question I, I want to I ask this morning is, what do we need to do to understand God's design for marriage? This is going to be our baseline for the series where we begin today. And I think it's important that we understand these four things. The first one is this. Marriage is a spiritually based union. Okay, this is God's idea. God created it. It is a spiritually based union. Marriage. Anybody who's married, it is a spiritually based union. Because it is a spiritually based union, can you do a marriage without God? I would say no. Do people try to do it? Every day. Do people still yoke to each other without God being a part of it? Every day. Do they try to do, run the secular marriage thing and just make it work on their own power, on their own terms, in their own way? Every day. Marriage is a spiritually based union. It's interesting, uh, the terminology that's used there in verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. If you look at that word alone in the Hebrew, it means literally something is missing. It is not good for man to 
B, something is missing. <laughs> Not just alone like he's lonely, but something, something is missing. And God created this, what the scripture says is a suitable helper for him. Literally, that word translates best as compliment. God made a compliment for man. And it's like these two are created and they go together, you know, like peas and Okay, you get the game now. Peas and carrots. Like cookies and cream and milk. Somebody said milk. We had that first service. So, yeah, cookies and cream, cookies and milk. Kind of like Batman and, okay, we all got that one. Like Lone Ranger and Tonto. And like Rocky and, there we go. Same thing happened first service. We had Bullwinkle, which, you know, might date us a little bit. Then we also had Adrian. Adrian. So whether you are Rocky and Bullwinkle, and some of you are like, what is a Bullwinkle? It's like, yeah, you missed good television. I'm sorry, kids. Um, but Rocky and Bullwinkle or Rocky and Adrian, yo, Adrian. This, this was God's plan and design that he would make a compliment for man, that man was incomplete, something was missing, and that he made the compliment to complete him. And this was God's design now, sometimes, because of the order of creation and the woman being taken out of man, some people have this view of woman as being subservient to man, that she's just, you know, just supposed to serve him, and it's almost like treated almost as less than or like a doormat to him. But I do want to point this out. It's kind of interesting. That same term that's used for suitable helper there in the text, in Psalm 46, it's the same term that's used to describe God because it says God is our helper. So it doesn't necessarily mean that one is in low position in the comparative language there. It actually means just one that completes the other. And I think that's really cool because God, who's the designer of marriage and is purposeful in everything that he does, I'll just blow your mind with, his, with him being so purposeful. This term implies that by creating a woman, God completed and complemented the man. And understand that it's a spiritually based union, so the foundation for this is intended to be built on spiritual things. And because God is the maker and the designer of this thing that we call marriage, we should build it on him. Now, what does the world do? They get married all the time, right? And when they get married and God is no part of that union, then I would just say to them, good luck. Good luck taking something that God designed and wants to be a foundational part of and doing it on your terms. But that is what so many people do today. And I, I would even say this. Sometimes we as Christians, we go in to that marriage with all the best intentions in the world to keep God a part of it. But what happens is things start to fall apart. Sometimes when we move into a house, you'll notice something as you live there a few years. I don't know if you've ever had this happen in your house, but sometimes you get cracks in your wall. Have you ever noticed that? Guys, it's usually your wife that notices that, right? Yeah. She's looking up. She's like, oh, you see that crack? Right? It's going right down there in the seam from the ceiling, you know, and they notice that crack, and they want you to do what? They want you to fix the crack. Now, what you do if you're, if you're a good husband, right, is you go and you'll fix the crack and you'll go and you'll buy, buy the drywall stuff that you need, the spackling. Maybe it's not a big one. You need some spackling. You do it right. You, you put in the spackling and then, then you, you sand it down, right? You sand it down. You paint it. No, you prime it. No, you prime it. And then you, you paint it with triple coat of paint. And, man, it looks so good. And then it's like what? 
Six months later, a year, you go back and your wife's like, that cracks back. <laughs> You're like, is it really? Huh. I didn't notice that. I was, trying not, I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. Huh? You know, and this time you go back with what? You go back with perfect tape and, you know, you spackle again. You do all this stuff. And you're trying to fix it. And, and yet it seems like just maybe it's every few months or maybe, few, maybe you get by a couple years, two, three years. But that crack keeps coming back. Now, here's the problem. Okay, you think that the crack and, and, and the wall and maybe it's where it's attaching to the city. You think that is the issue. Folks, that is not the issue. What's the issue? The foundation is the issue. <laughs> but we don't want to look at the foundation. We don't want to look at the cracks in the foundation. We don't want to consider that maybe the foundation is shifting a little bit. And I think this is how we approach marriage sometimes, even as Christians. Perhaps, if we're being honest. That we have some cracks and we notice them showing up in the room and we like to patch them and do easy, quick fixes. Well, I'll get her to, you know, shut up and get happy with me. If I'll just take her on a date and, you know, buy her something, you know, that'll buy us another, you know, three weeks. And, you know, maybe if I'm really super nice to her and take her out to lunch someday. Well, if I send her flowers at work. Sometimes the lady's like, well, if I dolly myself up for him and if I... I'll make him dinner again. I'll make his favorite thing. You know, we, we do this. And all we're really doing is on those cracks putting Band-Aids and patches, but it doesn't really fix the problem. Because the, foundation, the foundational problem in a lot of marriages is that the Christ is not in the marriage. I mean, let's just be blunt. I mean, it's just not in the marriage. Even though he's the creator, God is the creator, and the foundation for the marriage, it, all of this was his idea. And yet we include him not. We're just going to try to do it on our terms. We're going to try to be good enough and work hard enough. Reminds me of uh, Psalm uh, 127 verse 1. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Yeah, the Lord needs to be building that marriage. It also reminded me of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12. It says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then listen to this. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. If you want to make a rope, folks, you've got to have three strands. The two are going to come untwisted and unraveled really quickly. God is that third strand in a marriage that holds it together when things aren't perfect, that binds it and holds it together when the world is pushing against it, when Satan is working against it. When the tough times come, it's that strand of three that keeps it together. Now, I know some of you are skeptics with this. You're like, hey, wait a second. I know, I know this atheist couple you know, and, and I, you know, they're still happy, you know, after 20 years of marriage. And so I, I think it can be done without God. Yeah, I'd love to be on the inside walls of that house. Some of you say, well, hey, you know, this, these, these people didn't have Christ at any part of their marriage. And man, they've been together for 40 years. Super rare, super rare. Sometimes they'll stay long enough together for the kids. But as soon as the kids get out of the house, then the marriage goes away. Sometimes you say, well, I've seen people that don't love Jesus and God is no part of their marriage relationship. It's built on that sandy foundation, but they, they still love each other. 
I mean, I think after all these years, but I think that's few and far between because I think all those relationships and even ours as Christians, when we come to this point where we're struggling, we say, whoa, 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 whoa. Something is missing here. Something is off. Something is missing. This is not what I thought it would be. I think this is a struggle here. I was reading uh, something that was a survey from uh, Divorce Magazine. I didn't even know we had a Divorce Magazine, but there's a survey in Divorce Magazine, and the tagline for this magazine is this, Help for Generation X, and it's EX. And the survey found that couples that come to church regularly, that pray together faithfully, that read their Bible together regularly, and serve the Lord together faithfully, their divorce rate is 1 in 1,155. I'm like, ugh, revenge of the church people, right? <laughs> That's one-tenth of 1% 1 when the average rate of divorce is somewhere in the 50-plus percentile. And you think, why is that? It's because God is part of the marriage. God is the third strand that won't easily be broken. God is the foundation of that relationship. There's a spiritual union, and God is at the center of it. Marriage is a spiritually based union. And if you're going at it in any different way, I would just say, good luck, because you're going to need it. Second thing this morning, marriage is totally exclusive. Marriage is completely exclusive. Look what it says there in verse 23. The man said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, the word for man is ish, and the word for woman is isha. So it's, it, it's ish, and isha was taken out of ish, and they go together, and they are completely exclusive to one another. They have this one and only mentality. I am all in on this marriage thing. I am completely 100% committed. When I take vows that say for better or for worse, I mean it. For richer, for poorer, yes, I mean it. In sickness and in health, till death do us part. Forsaking all others. No plan B, no escape hatch, no prenup with an out. I'm all in. Because here's the truth this morning. Where secrets live, intimacy dies. Purity and exclusivity pave the way to intimacy. And folks, this makes sense. If you just think about that, this makes, this makes complete sense. That when you have secrets in your lives, and you, you have these secrets... The intimacy cannot be there because there's, there's a lack of trust. And when you are pure in your thoughts and your feelings and your motives with, with each other, and when you are exclusive and you say forsaking all others, that paves the way to intimacy because in a marriage, it should be things shared just between you and your spouse and you're completely exclusive to everyone else. There's no one else, okay? It's just you and your wife or you and your husband. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, wait a second. We're back in Genesis here, okay? Adam, right? Adam had it easy, right? He just had one choice. Eve. And if he couldn't make it work with her, yeah, there was no escape hatch. There was no backup plan. 
They didn't have fake book back then to where I could find or meet someone else. And so it was kind of her or nothing. And I'm just thinking Adam had this unfair advantage. But I'm here to tell you that same mentality, if we could have Adam's mentality about there is no one else, I'm married. This is it. There is no plan B. There is no second chapter to my life. There isn't this one that comes after this mentality. We must take it in all of our marriages. And I want to tell you that Satan is always working against you in that. Because Satan doesn't want you to have total exclusiveness in your marriage. And yet we we struggle. What robs us of total exclusiveness? I want to talk to the men for just a second, then I'll talk to the ladies. For guys, I know it could be a lot of things, but I narrowed it down to two. I think that flirting, especially excessive flirting with someone who's not your spouse. Flirting with your spouse, good, okay, guys? Flirting with your spouse, great. Flirting with someone who's not your spouse, no. I think it's flirting. I also think it's pornography. And I think they're both a trap that Satan has set. You, you come and, and, and talk to me sometime about your marriage. You say, well, my wife is not meeting all of you know, our expectations for this part of our marriage. And then I would ask you, where are you getting your expectations from? Are you getting from the Holy Word of Scripture? Or are you getting from somewhere out there on the Internet? Because men, you are not totally exclusive when pornography is allowed in your marriage. And to you women who for some reason allow it, I want to say to you, how is that helping you? How is that helping you? You will never stack up and be good enough when your husband is allowed to shop around. So shut it down. Guys, don't be flirting with someone who's not your wife. Don't be texting someone who's not your wife. Don't be... I, I, I know I get in this, this, this thought process all the time. Well, there's times where I have to. I understand in business relationships and work and stuff, sometimes you have to do that. But you know when it goes to a point that it shouldn't be. You know when you feel like your heart or your mind's attention or your heart's affection is starting to be pulled in a different direction. You know. You know because your mind begins to go there and you start to justify it. That, and even before that, is when you shut that down. You shut that down. You're totally exclusive in your marriage. And ladies, because I'm not one, I asked a few. I think um, ladies being wired different, it's a little bit different. For ladies, sometimes it's watching those movies that leaves you longing for more in your relationship. Sometimes it's those conversations that you have online with someone of the opposite sex that you shouldn't be having. Sometimes it's just the romance that's built up in reality television shows and reading romance novels and looking online and looking at those Facebook posts because, you know, they're always like perfect. They're on the beach. Oh, look at them. You know, it's like, man, I want that. It leaves you wanting for more. Sometimes it's Facebook chats with your high school sweetheart, which leads you to this mindset of what would have happened 20 years ago if I had chosen a different way or a different person. It's those conversations with your friends where you begin comparing your husband to this other person's husband and they're just not stacking up and you find yourself being drawn or attracted to someone else because they treat you nicer than your husband does. All of these things are flirting with a disaster because you've opened the door because you're not totally exclusive now. Now you're inclusive, and there's no place for that in a marriage. One of the best protections you can put up is a barbed wire electric fence with machine guns around your marriage that says, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm right here. 
totally exclusive. It's me and you, and that's it. Yeah, maybe Adam had it easier, but you could have it awesome if you stay totally exclusive in your marriage. Third thing this morning, married people are supernaturally bonded. Supernaturally bonded. How many of you ever used Gorilla Glue? I mean, that's better than super glue, isn't it? Super glue is good. Gorilla glue is forever, okay? Um, And I'm not getting any kind of endorsement. So, so. But married people are supernaturally bonded with God's supernatural glue that's the sticky that keeps a marriage together. Married people have this supernatural bond to have. Look Look at it in verse 24. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother. It's talking about leaving the covering of your childhood home. Okay, the parents aren't in charge of your life anymore. You're totally on your own. You're totally in charge. And now you're going to be one with this other person. You leave, the man leaves his father and mother, is united, is united, bonded to, supernaturally glued to his wife, and they become one flesh. When I look at married couples, I say the two become one. I know sometimes they try to separate. Well, she's different than he is, and he's different than he is. Dude, they're married. Sorry. You know, well, this person's hating on this person, but this person says this. Dude, they're married. The two have become one. Now, do we always see perfect oneness in our relationships? No, because we're different people. We have different minds, different thoughts, different feelings. But it's this meshing and this bondedness that makes it beautiful. Married people are supernaturally bonded. But sometimes we bring baggage into the relationship. Sometimes it's because of our past. Sometimes it's because of our childhood homes what we had modeled for us of what a marriage should be. And it puts us at a huge disadvantage because I feel like as we go further and further in time, we have less and less examples of a good, solid, biblical, godly, happy, joyful marriage. Instead, we see these two people sticking it out till the kids are graduated, and it's this drudgery. Some of us, we came from a home that I I like to call the smothered and covered home. We came from this home where we were so loved by our parents. I mean, they smothered us with love. We were loved, but we were probably overly protected, in some ways overly involved in the relationship, even with our parents. Sometimes your parents didn't have intimacy with each other. They didn't have a solid relationship. They didn't have great communication. And so sometimes they bring a child into that. To, to, to be a part of that. And that child gets kind of communicated to as an adult, becomes a part of the household, and becomes a part of the relationship. They find themselves in this depth of relationship with mom or a depth of relationship with dad that really should be a depth of relationship with each other. And because they're smothered and covered in these homes, when they step into a marriage, it's hard. Sometimes they repeat the same patterns in the marriage as they get married and they just can't have intimacy and good communication with their spouse. So what do they do? They start leaning on the kids to fulfill that void in their heart. It affects the marriage. Sometimes they just have a hard time detaching. (laughs) It says, leave your father and mother. They don't ever really leave their father and mother. Their father and mother are right there on top of them the whole time. And you guys have probably seen this. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in someone else's. You've seen these dynamics sometimes play out. It makes it hard. Some of us didn't come from a smothered and covered home. Some of us came from a damaged and drained home. You know what I'm talking about if that's the kind of home that you grew up in. 
For you, leaving was great. <laughs> leaving was awesome. That was not hard to leave your father and mother. I wanted to leave them, you know, from the time I was 15 or 16 years old. The constant dysfunction and the fighting and the hurts and the scars and the issues with anger and aggression and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and dysfunction in the relationship. And now I get married. With all of that baggage in the background, with all that modeling that I've seen, and I find myself repeating those same patterns of interaction, communication, and behavior. And sometimes this means that a person will hold back to protect themselves because they saw the pain that mom or dad had in that, that volatile relationship, and so they can't ever really open up. They won't trust 100%. They won't give themselves 100% in the relationship. They'll give a solid 80 82.5, but I just can't, I have to hold myself back because of all these scars, and it's hard for them. They feel like they're in protection mode of their heart because they've been in protection mode of their heart since they were a child. Sometimes it's the opposite effect. It's not that they won't give themselves all into it. It's that they lash out, and they repeat those same patterns and the same broken communication and dysfunction from their damaged and drained home. Now, now they're just acting out all those things that they saw all those years and seeing it modeled in their home once again. I'm here to tell you, when God is a part of the marriage, married people have this supernatural bond that they can overcome anything with God's help. Anything. God is in the business of taking things that are broken and putting them back together the way they were intended to be. And it's awesome. So I want to give you that hope this morning. But remember, Married people are supernaturally bonded with God's help. Last thing this morning, marriage is complete openness with your spouse. Complete openness with your spouse. You're holding nothing back. Look at verse 25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. How could they be naked and feel no shame? It's because, it's because they were totally open and completely open and honest with their spouse. Have you ever heard the phrase, letting it all hang out? <laughs> and I'm not talking about in this context, like running around the house naked. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But you've heard that phrase. And what you mean when you say that is like being completely open and honest, right? You ask somebody that, right? You're talking to your friend, you're like, dude, can I just let it all hang out? You know, it's like, let me just put it out raw before you. This is how I really feel about it. This is what's really going on with this. And I'm talking about being completely open and honest and real with your spouse, that you would hold nothing back. Folks, when you're in a solid marriage relationship, that person should know things about you that no one else knows, not even your mama. There's things that they know about how you think and how you feel, things about who you are that no one else in the world knows because why? It's because you have opened yourself up to what? Vulnerability, right? You've chosen that I'm going to be completely vulnerable. I'm going, to, I'm going to operate here in complete openness to my spouse. To be vulnerable with a spouse like you are vulnerable with no other person on earth. That's what God intended in a marriage. Complete openness and complete vulnerability with your spouse. And that's how something like verse 25 could happen. They could be completely, completely vulnerable with one another and yet have no shame. That, that is a solid marriage. I want to encourage you, 
as I close this this morning, that we need to exchange our blueprints for marriage with God's blueprints for marriage. We need to exchange what we inherited as a marriage concept or our view and exchange that for God's design and God's ultimate plan for a marriage. Because that's what we see here in chapter 2 of the first marriage. Look at the beauty in, in, in verses 18 through 25. Look what God intended and look. Look at how. Look at how successful Adam and Eve are. And look where they're at in verse 25, but know that Satan doesn't lay down. Just like he's attacking marriages today, so Satan attacks too. Because you know what's awesome in chapter 2? What happens in chapter 3? Satan systematically attacks the marriage. Sin is introduced into the world. Satan attacks God's work and God's design and God's plan just as he does today. And by chapter 3, what happens next is Satan is on attack. Isn't it amazing we can read what we read in verse 25? And if you skip over to chapter 3, verse 10, it says this. And you remember the part before this, it says that they were in the garden, they were in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. Why are, they, why are they hiding? And the Lord called out to the man, where are you? Now God knows where they're at. But he's like, why are they hiding from me? And in verse 10, Adam answered this. He said, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You read that and you're like, what? In verse 25, you were naked and you felt no shame. 10 verses later, now you're naked and you were ashamed and so you hid. Isn't that amazing what sin can do? Isn't it amazing the work that Satan has coming against us? He's coming against us in our daily lives. He's also coming against us in our marriages. He'd love to destroy himself a marriage. Because it affects not only a husband and a wife and just rips their hearts and their minds out. They're never the same. They're never the same. They'll never be whole. And yet it affects other people, it affects kids, it affects family trees and directions. And I'm thinking if I'm saying that's a good place to attack, let's attack marriages. Let's do that. And some of us, we walk that out because we're a victim of a marriage that Satan Satan got a hold of. I want to hear, I want to offer you hope this morning in the person of Christ Jesus. That Jesus Christ, God loved us so much that he sent Christ into the world to be a sacrifice for our sins. In just a moment, we're going to take communion together, Holy Communion. And hopefully you got those emblems as you came in this morning. If you're with us online this morning, uh, hopefully you've made those arrangements at home. But as we take the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and we do this as, uh, as the center of our worship every week in God's church, this bread that represents his body and this cup that represents his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Scripture says it's to purify us from all unrighteousness. It is how we have hope and healing in any relationship, let alone in a marriage. And I imagine with as many married people as we have in God's church in two services today, there's going to be marriages that are all over the map, some that are struggling and some that are awesome. 
But no matter where you find yourself this morning, and hopefully you haven't been throwing elbows at each other, I want you to know that your foundation for your marriage is a spiritual union, and it's based on God and Jesus Christ being a part of it. And if you want to know the best marriage advice I can give you is get in the Word and get in prayer and start fighting for your marriage on your knees before God. Because He is the one that will bring forgiveness and mend hearts and brokenness. He's the one that will fix a marriage by fixing you because he loves you that much.